1: Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the your the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. Netsuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one slash james netsuite.com slash james all i can say is this interview was crazy i had on andrew gold he actually came down to where i live and and stayed over and we had a great time If you don't remember andrew gold he is famous for exposing fake psychics he's investigated cults he's investigated psychopaths and faith healers and he's a really good investigator on anything that makes him curious and this time he's investigating me and we have a great conversation here's part one of it right now This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. I don't normally ask for anything, but this is a little interlude. Please subscribe to the podcast. It helps the podcast stay alive, ranks high, gets me subscribers, gives me that dopamine kick. Subscribe to the podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Let me know on Twitter if you do it and enjoy. Is it a valid stance to just not care about vaccines? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you want to take it, take it. And they've already said that it's not, has nothing to do with transmissibility. So it's just your own personal choice if you want to take it or not.
2: That's sort of everything, isn't it? Is it okay to not have a strong opinion? We talked about this before, didn't we? You were saying, um it's fascist to just be quiet
1: yeah, yeah, like my my kids have informed me now that silence is violence, yeah,
2: yeah that's a re I think that's a really dangerous place to be because it means you've got to have a strong opinion one way or the other, and you start with the strong opinion, and then you find the the stats for it
1: yeah, like um you know like voting is an interesting thing. You know, everybody says you must vote. if you want to have a voice in your government, y- y- you must vote or if you want to have a voice in your country or even in your community. But we have a we, and if you say you're not voting, people act like, you know, oh, you know, so many people died for your right to vote. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a right. it's not it's not forced. We don't live in this fascist society. like we have a right to vote, but it's not yeah. a, a, a we're not for it's not against the law to not vote. You have a right to get an abortion, but we don't force people to get them. I force all my girlfriends <laughs> to get abortions, but kidding aside.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I agree. I've always, look, this is, I don't know how this is going to go down me saying this, but I've never voted. I've never voted either.
1: Oh, yeah. this
2: is great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, but I get, but this election in particular, everybody was upset at me. I even had like yeah. a debate, like I allowed myself to get drawn into this live debate about voting, and you could see how people think. Like everybody was saying, well, what I just said—that people died for my right to vote, which I never asked anyone to do—but okay. And and the other another thing people said was that, look, this is—you know—I have a daughter who is X, Y, and Z, and if you don't vote, then her rights are going to be taken away. And I said, my daughter has the same X, Y, and Z, and she, you know, I'll talk about it on my podcast, which reaches reaches a lot of people. That and and that's more important than a vote. Like, mm. a vote is one out of hundred twenty million. Podcast that reaches a lot of people. So, and I feel to be on to have a podcast, it's good to be as neutral as possible. So I could talk to Democrats, I could talk to Republicans, I could talk to Kanye West if he wants to come on, hint Kanye and whatever.
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of hints, Kanye, what about who you just had on your show? Because it's caused a bit of controversy, Andrew Tate.
1: Oh, yeah. Andrew Tate's another one where I saw some tweets where from people who had known me for a long time and they're like, Literally, one tweet said "bye." Like, yeah, that was that. Just it. like <laughs> and then another tweet was, you know, oh, you know, I forget what they all said, but you know, so disappointed. Like, and I, and all I said, I, I tweeted uh, just all messages that you listen to it and then judge. Don't judge and then not listen to it because uh, it's because it's interesting. Because I've known the, this guy was the most had more Google searches on him than Donald Trump during the summer, so that's interesting. And then he got banned. Why did he get banned? Why do people why were people attracted to his message? Is it just 12-year-old boys who who hate women? I, I don't know. I didn't really listen to his stuff before researching this podcast, but it was a very interesting podcast about lots of different issues. And I know I've known him personally for a long time. Like I knew his dad decades ago. So it would make sense for me to have him on because he's been in the news a lot. And he's a, you know, I enjoyed the podcast. It was a great podcast.
2: Yeah. For those who don't know, what has he been in the news for and who is he?
1: So so he, he, there's like a billion views or billions of views of him on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And what he talks about basically is that his own view of men's rights and women's rights and how he thinks it's been distorted in society... And, you know, men commit suicide at a rate of four, five to one over women. Why is this? This is never talked about. Why is this the case? And so he digs down and he says it's his own personal opinion. It's his own personal experience. It's not based on statistics, but a lot of people follow him for, and, and some of the things he says are considered very extreme, but nothing he says is that is extreme as the basic rap song, you know, referring to Kanye, like every rap song has more you know, crazy stuff in it than anything Andrew says. And a lot of the stuff Andrew says makes a lot of sense that people should listen to. Like, you know, you always have to question who is giving us the message in the media? Why are they giving us this message? What's the agenda? And okay, he, you know, he pointed out how like outside the Ukraine, you know, he because I guess he's based near Ukraine, outside of it, a lot of women and children are leaving the country, which is reasonable, everybody should leave if they're afraid to get killed. But he said men are not allowed to leave, and so he's just wondering why did they make a difference between men and women? Well, historically and evolutionary, biologically, women take care of the children, and that's how it's happened in, for the for the human race for as long as we've we've been around. So he's just he just a lot of the points he makes is from like evolutionary psychology. It's like mm-hmm. literally said in academic departments. He just has a an interesting way or a weird way of saying things. Like instead of saying men can deadlift more weight than women on average. He says women are weaker than men, which is almost saying the same thing, but he says it is a more provocative. So Mm. people take it more provocatively. And he says this enough and he gets billions of views. They ban him. Meanwhile, like, the Ayatollah of Iran might say, you know, the only good Jew is a dead Jew, and that guy's fine because he like runs a country or whatever.
2: Is he on Twitter? He's on Twitter, yeah.
1: <laughs> he really- he, I saw he tweeted that or something like that like yeah. a couple years ago, and I've been thinking of it ever since. Like, I reported <laughs> his tweet, like, why wasn't he banned?
2: So, <laughs> the Ayatollah's just not banned, he's unbannable. Can't he's just tweeting <laughs> in the bathroom like everyone else, the Ayatollah. <laughs> Oh, he sounds like a nice guy, doesn't he? He sounds lovely. Well, look, the, the thing with Andrew, did, didn't he do bad stuff as well? I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. And we'll have to take this bit out if that's not true. Did he? Was there, was there like an abusive thing?
1: No, no, there, there's a, so there's a video of him, quote unquote, beating up a woman. Huh. And to me, so I watched the video and because it's all over the place, I watched the video, it looked to me like role play, like nobody was acting seriously in it. And the woman herself made a video saying, this was her thing. She liked it. She still likes Andrew. You know, there were a couple videos like that where the woman all said this was not a big deal. People were like, really making this a big deal and it wasn't. Mm. And, you know, they weren't forced to say that unless I don't know maybe they, could they were, but they
2: could have. Been.
1: Maybe yeah, maybe they're in his basement and he's, for, for,
2: he's forcing them to say it. But it it but it, it also doesn't mean you did it. I mean this this is the thing. Like I get I get we both get a lot of you know flack from people for who we might interview and things like that. Um, but you can't win because you, you could do something for the BBC. Well, the BBC hid the allegations about Jimmy Savile for decades. The the I don't want to use the word on YouTube, but the guy. Do you know Jimmy Savile? No. He was he was uh, one of the most famous children's TV presenters of the 80s, 70s, and 80s. You can imagine where this is Children, going. yes. Okay. Yeah. Now we know the word. Well, well, also, like, you know, not just that. It was, like, beyond that. We're talking about... Because um, he was very... He, he had friends in high places. He was, like, in with the royal family. He was in with um, um, all the celebrities, like, the top, top, top people, and the charities and stuff. So he was just left... To just wander the halls of hospitals and psychiatric wards for children and also morgues and funeral homes, so you get where that might be going. Oh my God. That all came out after he died. And that was a lot of the BBC people knew about it and didn't let it out. So you go and make something for the BBC, fine. But what they did is much worse than what you've just described about Andrew Tate. And then where do you go? Because every channel has got some sort of history with doing awful, awful things.
1: Yeah, every every government every king and queen in England, every president here, like it, you name me a president, I could tell you some scandal that they've been involved in that mm. just sort of is like brushed under the the, the carpet when, when they're gone. Like everybody. I yeah. mean, George Washington had slaves. We, I mean, now that's talked about, but I don't know. Maybe Barack Obama has a clean slate. I don't know. Don't and say I'm, that. You're going to annoy
2: people. Yeah, I'm not
1: voting. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm voting, for him. I'm just saying I don't know of any scandal. Okay, well, I will say one scandal is that he forced all the Swiss banks to open up to see who was kind of hiding assets from all the way back to World War II. And it was a lot of uh, Jewish people, actually. Ah. So so I'll tell you a story that I've never actually told before. I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast before. So a bunch of um, Orthodox Jews came to me once and they described this whole scenario where they had friends going to jail because these friends had Swiss bank accounts where their, their great grandparents from the Holocaust had squirreled away money in these Swiss banks and on the interest or whatever it is, they never paid taxes back in 1945. And so now they're going to jail because Obama forced all the banks to open up. So So here's the problem. I'm taking notes. This sounds like an interesting story. I was gonna either write a story about or do a podcast about. And then they offered to pay me. And I said, now I'm this is over a decade ago, so it's not like a big deal. Now. But I said to them, now I can't do anything for you. You just offered to pay me in a room full of people. Like I can't I can't mention this story ever. I'm mentioning it now, of course, but <laughs> it's 10 years later. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that's the only thing I could think of with Obama.
2: That's pretty crazy. Wait, so what's the moral bad thing here? That-
1: well, that he was, he, their theory, and I don't know if this is true or not, but their theory was that he was targeting Jews. Mm. And he had a slight history before he was elected of his, his preacher or reverend was, had made some anti-Semitic speeches when he was in the the church. And so, but he got rid of, he he disavowed that reverend. So there's no evidence that he's actually anti-Semitic or anything. And I don't think he is, but that was their claim. Mm.
2: Is there anyone you wouldn't interview? Is there anyone? Out of of moral, some sort of moral moral compass thing.
1: There is somebody I didn't interview. I feel like, I feel like Alex Jones, I didn't. Jay, do you know, who, who, who did I say no to because he was a bad guy? Uh, the,
2: the guy from Papa
1: John? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> the Papa John guy? Yeah, yeah, the pizza <laughs>
1: guy. Because he had said some very racist things, and now he's just trying to cover it up because he was losing customers. And oh. I just didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to be
2: a tool for him. Who did Papa John say bad things about?
1: Uh, you know, black people. Uh. So I, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. And then RFK Jr., we didn't we didn't air. So cause it was just I I was more interested in him in the Kennedys and the political dynasty and all that. And then he went on like this 45 minute rant about vaccines. This is way before COVID. And I was like, I just there's nothing for me to say here. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. Mm-hmm. I couldn't ask him anything. I you know, he had researched it for decades. I had done zero research on it, so I just didn't air it. What yeah. about you? Is there anybody? Because you you go for the, yeah. the. But the thing is, nobody, like if you interview a <laughs> things, you're
2: a. Don't say the word like, YouTube. YouTube. Oh, no, I can't, We're going to have to like blur that <laughs> we'll word. We'll beep
1: out. it. So, okay. So, who wouldn't you have on your podcast? The, the thing is, your podcast is different than mine. Yeah. Like, I'm having on people who I don't mind giving them a platform to share their views. Whereas you interview f- criminals and yeah. fake psychic healers and cult leaders and. So it's not like you're sharing your platform with them. So I'm wondering, like, is there someone so extreme that you can't handle the fact that they're on your podcast?
2: No, I, I don't think so. Um, it wouldn't be a moral thing. It would be, um, it, it would be just the thing that they believe is bananas and I, I can't, I don't want to have that conversation. So um, I often get emails from people saying I'm not open-minded because I won't entertain sort of paranormal stuff, you know, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in any of that stuff. Um, so there's often that open-minded thing. I think that that drives me mad actually, because they don't understand. Of course, everyone thinks they're open-minded and being open-minded is being open-minded to the fact that they might be wrong. Because they, I mean, I think we all start from a religious place, at least we did 20, 30 years ago. Everyone starts from a, whether it's a church or synagogue, it's like religion is the is the main and being open-minded to me is breaking free from that it's not just having more religion but i'm getting all that open mindset so that's why i would probably say no to and I, I have done i've get these emails you know somebody was saying they were in the moonies uh, cult and it's like i've left the moonies but now i've worked out why the bible is actually an allegory for evolution and just all this stuff and i, I don't i just don't have the patience for it but in terms of like horrible things someone's done i think i would have i'd have hitler on I would have uh, I, because why not? It's not. What's it going to do? It's going to promote their horrible views, okay. right?
1: It's not. It's not going to be like, huh, that Hitler guy sounds really racist. Yeah. not like the people are going to say that after listening to your yeah. podcast. Well,
2: maybe they would. Cause that maybe, would be scary. But, well, this is it. So one of the main threads in my podcast is is trying to show that you know that that banality of evil thing that that everybody thinks they're doing a good thing. Uh, and it's so simplistic to presume that y- you know you can never be the bad person because you've got good intentions. Well, everyone else did as well. I don't know about Hitler, and I know that one percent of the population are psychopaths, so maybe he was just a psychopath he probably was. But so many people throughout history must have thought they were really doing the right thing for them.
1: You mentioned you had some guy from the Aryan Brotherhood on. Like yeah. what was that like?
2: That was interesting, but it, so he was someone that I pushed back a bit. The thing is that was one of those ones where I co-hosted with Sean Atwood. And Sean is a much more forgiving interviewer than than I am. I think, and even more forgiving, I should say. So he just sort of, you know, he'll take them a little bit more at their word. And I don't think he wants the friction. He just enjoys the conversation. Uh, And because Sean organized that one, I didn't feel at liberty to push back as much as I would have done on mine. But I did push back a bit because he was reframing a lot of stuff. um, And he was saying stuff that uh, it could be true, I don't know, that when the Aryan Brotherhood started, they weren't a racist organization in prison. It was more to do with, you know, white people being a minority and needing a group together and the swastika didn't come into their symbol until quite a bit later and things like that and he was he was very philosophical and he seems to have changed his ways but he also didn't seem to want to take responsibility for for almost anything i'm reluctant to criticize too much because he's you know quite a scary person
1: (laughs) but you know it's interesting though that one you co-hosted with someone and and i think when you co-host you could be have like a good cop bad cop thing going on so you're allowed to be a little bit more aggressive because the other guy is going to lighten it up a little bit
2: there is that. And I suppose I should speak to Sean about that and say, hey, do you want that dynamic? Because there's the you're right, there's the good cop, bad cop, but there's also the the feeling of I'm on this is somebody else who's organized it. It's I'm in their home, you know. How yeah. do they how do they want this to be? And I think he wants it to be smooth and nice because he has a relationship with this guy and with lots of other people and he wants them to come back on, which is you know totally fair enough. I don't want to be the guy that ruined it, and the next time he wants the Aryan Brotherhood guy on, he won't come on. Although I guess, I
1: guess they can always say, like if, let's say your co-host, Sean, were to call up the Aryan brother or guy, the, the guy could say, listen, Sean, I'm okay with you, just don't have that Jew on anymore.
2: <laughs> he <laughs> so, could say that. That would go against the stuff he was saying because you know, he was trying to say, like, oh, I've got no problem with, you know, it does disarm people. Uh, me being Jewish, I think, especially talking to these people, we we were talking about this before, that, you know, I think conspiracy theories, often the roots is one thing in common. Firstly, is that, they, you know, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you believe in all the conspiracy theorists together, but also. Jewishness tends to be the thing at the middle. And some of the biggest conspiracy debunkers that I think you and I have both uh, interviewed or known about, you know, Michael Sherman, Mike Rothschild, these are Jewish guys. So I asked them, like, do you think it comes from, you know, a lot of people have this distrust of the media and all these things. I think if you're Jewish and you grow up in that world, particularly if you're a skeptical kind of person, quite secular, your distrust is of conspiracy theories. So it's a really complicated thing. We're right in the middle of those conspiracies and the cults and things and when i tell those people i get them on the show like you know i'm jewish or whatever they they tend to be polite you know people are polite and they don't they don't go as crazy as they would do
1: yeah and particularly they the thing is they want your audience to like them yeah so they're not going to say if they they're not they're not idiots then they know okay this person's like this so his audience must be like this i'm try, I, i'm not going to say anything totally off the wall but but you mentioned the case of the guy from the moonies mm. but he might have his own weird theory that person like sounds like just crazy so you yeah. don't want just a crazy person yeah. like it'd be interesting to, when when you said oh I, somebody from the moonies contacted me i got interested for, for a split second because oh was you remember that day they married like twenty thousand couples yeah. in one day i'd be really curious to talk to someone who was married that day as a mooney like what what how'd they meet their spouse, what was the yeah. marriage like? What happened? Did they think it was weird that they were all being married
2: on the same day? I did have a Mooney on. I can give you his contacts if you want. Yeah, yeah, that'd yeah, be great. Elgin. What, what did he
1: say? Was he, did he get I married don't think that he,
2: day? It wasn't that day, but I, and I can't remember too, you know, you end up doing three episodes a week. I can't remember too much. Yeah. He's a really, really nice guy called Elgin Straight. Uh, and he's American, but he lives in Britain now. Uh, and yeah, he was, you know, fully signed up. It, his parents, the, the thing with the Moonies is their parents can't go to heaven until they have children who I think also get married to other Moonies. Wow. So there's a lot of, imagine that pressure. (laughs) Yeah. So, and and you do feel, and he said this, you feel a bit like a commodity. You feel like you are the thing that will get your parents into heaven. You don't feel like you're the thing that they want to love. You're doing them a favor.
1: What if you decide not to get married? Are your parents going to like disown you or- I or are think they going to cry?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Often, or they would, or it depends how extreme they are. They might just make judgments and say things, and you know, but they'll think, okay, we can't go to. to so, so because of that, the Moonies often adopt this, and there's loads of what they would call child, um, you know, transporting or drug, ah. yeah, to to not use another word that gets it's, banned on YouTube.
1: It's fascinating. So, like, what I always think of, obviously, this is a marketing strategy, right? So it's how you know, it, it's literally, literally a pyramid scheme because it's everybody, you know. You have four kids. They have four kids, mm. and then it grows exponentially. And the Moonies are still around. Like they, they're bigger than ever. It's just, I,
2: Reverend Moon is dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, also because that uh, Shinzo Abe, the Japanese Prime Minister, was was killed because of his involvement in the Moonies. Uh, He gave talks, loads of people have given. It's another one a little bit like Scientology and Nixium, where celebrities would go and give these big speeches at these places uh, and endorse it and give it credibility so more people signed up to these things. So those people, uh, that is an example, I suppose. It's not, we were talking before about, you know, should we platform people? When you go and give a speech at an abusive cult, I think that's a different thing. I wouldn't go and talk to Scientologists or to um, the Moonies, but uh, Shinzo Abe did. And uh, I, I believe the man who killed him from a from a, a gun that he made at home it would like look like a piece of wood or something. Um, his mother, I think it was, had gotten into the Moonies and given all her money away to them.
1: I have to say, Airbnb Just go to com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You know, we were talking earlier about Scientology, and you were mentioning this weird story where they were killing the pets yeah. of... Someone who's being a Scientologist who's now being accused of rape. The accusers are finding their pets killed. Yeah, and how do they know it's by Scientologists? I guess because it's all of them.
2: Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think there's been a few pets killed now, and it was similar poison. Um, I would need to check facts exactly on that. And I think it's one of those things where no one really knows what's going on. It's it's just stranger than true. I said to you before. I think that that it's the weirdest thing in today's age. Like everybody's sitting here arguing about the culture wars and wokeness and what word we use. And I'm, you know, all for that. I guess right in the middle of those conversations. And nobody is saying like, isn't it weird that the most famous guy in the world is, the... and everyone gets angry when I say that as well, because like, he's not the most famous. Okay, he's not the most famous. He's one of the, you know, he's up there. Saying he's the most famous person in the world isn't insane, which means he's pretty famous, right? He's the head of a cult, an abusive, a coercive cult.
1: Yeah, Sorry. so 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 and we're talking about Tom Cruise. And yes. uh, if Tom Cruise wanted to go on your podcast, and I don't think he's ever been on any podcast, if Tom Cruise wanted to go on your podcast, but his team, a half hour before he's supposed to go on, his team sends you, here's a list of questions you can't, a- you can't a- ask him. Would you do it?
2: I would do it um, because he's just such a big name and because yeah. I would get to talk to Tom Cruise. And that's the thing. That's what we're stuck with now. Everybody wants to talk to Tom Cruise. That interview he did with somebody, Overton, who's an Australian um, presenter, uh, um, he said, he actually blindsided Cruz a bit at the beginning of the interview. The very first thing he said to him, like, hello, Tom, I can't do an Australian accent. It's like, all right, Tom, um, I didn't know I'd have to go through a four-hour Scientology briefing before just to speak to you. And you've got to watch this interview. It's the maddest thing on the internet. And you see Tom Cruise, you see those eyes, the intense eyes. And he goes, well, you didn't have to. And he said, well, I got the impression I did. He's like, well, you didn't have to go. And it's just this really awkward thing. Huh. The whole interview after that is really awkward because he's obviously asking things he wasn't supposed to ask. And they're quite simple things. They're just like, um, you know, do you still speak to Nicole? Which is quite a usual thing for Australians to want to know about, right? Because she's Australian. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to know that? And he starts going, yeah, you're crossing the line here. You know you're crossing a line. Come back from that line now. It gets very Scientology-ish on him. And it's really weird. And then it's, the weirdest part of the whole thing is right at the end, because it's, it's an hour of Cruz just going mad at him. Uh, at the end, the, this guy Overton is just like, oh, that was a, an interesting interview, wasn't it? And Tom Cruise is like, yeah, it was great. It was great. It was really good. And it gets up and gives him like a hug and he's like really intense. He's like, yeah, well, you know, you went out of line a few times and I pulled you back in. It's fine. Just intense guy. And, and so here's my question. Why do people st- everybody
1: it's like a common thing where we know Scientology is almost like a joke. Like why do people join Scientology and, and like seriously believe in it? And, and who knows, maybe it gives them some satisfaction in their life or helps them with their problems. Or maybe there's some meditation technique in there that really alleviates their anxiety. I don't know, but you hear such weird stories and such extreme stories.
2: Who joins, who joins today? I think it's, it is harder for them because of the internet, firstly. Like, it is, they are getting smaller. Uh, they are less able to employ their fair game tactics, which is when they go after people who have left, because there are too many who have left now. So now if you leave Scientology, you're less likely to have your pets killed or to get harassed at your house and stuff. But there's still a lot. I still get messages from Scientologists, angry ones, you know, shouting at me. Um, I, I think, um, oh, and it's interesting, because, like, cults rely on secrecy. They they need secrecy uh, and mystique. And, you know, if you complete this level, then you'll get this and you'll get eternal something or other. And uh, they, I mean, L. Ron Hubbard, I don't know the numbers exactly, but it was something like level seven. That will be when you know everything. They're up to like level 14 now because they just, I mean, he died and they just keep inventing new levels. Every time you get to the top level, there's another one uh, about secret knowledge, about aliens and spirituality and stuff.
1: And I feel like a lot of cults or religions kind of have... Taking that blueprint of a cult and like uh, like the idea of like first level, second level, third level, mm-hmm. it's almost like social media. Like they gamified religion, yeah, or actually social media is like these religions because the religions have been around longer. It, you know, gamifying gives people that dopamine rush, and it gives them oh, something yeah. to like go for, and they feel you Special. know everybody wants a hierarchy, so they feel like they have status over other people. And it's funny how. Twitter or Facebook, like any of these social media is structured the same way. Like, how many followers do you have? Are you do you have a blue check mark or another check mark? Are you, you know, this this member or this type of member or pro member or amateur member, whatever it is? There's all this gamification that it does work.
2: Yeah, status. We're desperate yeah. for that status. And
1: so, so it's funny how like social media. Even like, oh, I'm gonna follow this guy on social media. He's got a million followers. He must have something to say. It's yeah. like it's like okay, that's like a guru of social media. And then people call themselves influencers. Like that's like. It it never it used to be like a joke. If someone said I'm an influencer, that used to be a joke because well, you haven't done anything in life. You just have followers on Twitter. But now, like that's what people say they do for a profession. All they've done is accumulate followers on like some social media platform.
2: It's no. I think it's similar to a cult. I think I think and again, people disagree with this, but the word cult is really hard to define. Uh, It's a really broad uh, definition, and so I think you get cultish. You get a one out of 10, which is like Jumba Juice or fitness training or something like that, where people go and you feel like if I leave, I'm letting down the team, you know? It's not really a cult, but it just has a little bit of those cultish elements to it. 10 out of 10 is, you know, Jonestown, uh, where they all, uh, well, a lot of them killed themselves and the rest were killed, and Heaven's Gate as well, where they uh, killed themselves that drink the Kool Aid uh, yeah. phrase, which was which was wrong. It wasn't Kool Aid, it was another type of drink that they. Oh, really? I always yeah. thought it was Kool Aid. Yeah. Wait, was, wait, wait Jim, the Jim, the Jonestown one wasn't Kool Aid? I can't remember which one it was. Whichever one of the two, it was either that or Heaven's Gate, you know, the alien one, when yeah. they were sitting, yeah, they all had Nikes. Is suspicion. that the Waco one, Waco Compound? I think so. Texas? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so they all have these... I mean, you you described as well Nixium. Nixium stole a lot from Scientology and it's like this tiered uh, group. And, you know, once you get into the final group, instead of a Lord Xenu in Scientology, you get to or have to have sex with the uh, leader, Keith Ranieri. Uh, that was like, it's called DOS, was the sort of top level. So you mm. get into that, you've got to then be part of like this sex group with him. So what a thing to suddenly realize when you get there. You also have to be branded with his... And uh, with his initials, like a tattoo, like a proper branding thing. Um, and also branded either his and hers as well, because it was Alison, was it Alison? Not not Alison Brie. Uh, it was an actress, a famous actress. Yeah, the
1: the girl from Smallville. Jay, what's her name? blonde haired girl from Smallville, who played mm. Chloe. Mm. All right. She, uh,
2: Mac. Alison. Yeah, Alison
1: Mac. Yeah, I Alison that's
2: Mac. That's right. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's in prison, I think.
1: Like... I uh, do. I think she got. I don't think she got in prison. I don't know. I I followed the case for a while because I had one friend I knew who was in the cult too, who I think was might have been married to her, quote unquote married. But uh, uh, yeah, that was. They're, wow. they're all. It all boggles the mind. Like, how do people make the decision? This is going to be good. This is going to be uplifting for my life. Uh, Did they not know something in the beginning? And all their mm-hmm. friends are doing it, so they decide to try it. But then they give up everything. Like all those actresses who went, were in Nexium, they gave up their careers.
2: Right. Remind me to get onto Bitcoin after this because I'm going to ask you about this because I think there's some, there's some similar, similar Yeah, there's,
1: there's definitely cult. Like any new thing, there's cult like aspects to it. Not just crypto, but like the internet when it first started. People either were like super obsessed with the internet in the 90s or they thought it was a fad and a scam. Same thing's going on with crypto now. Yeah, And same thing happens with like lots of like self help writers or. You know, like you say, though, there's a a range from one to 10 Mm -hmm. of, you know, I would say someone crosses the line when, when they gamify it, probably Um, that's even wrong to say too, because they might truly believe what they're doing. So they gamify it to encourage people to achieve the insights that they've had. So maybe it's, maybe it's just crosses the line when they know what they're saying is wrong and they're doing it for money or, or some, or sex or whatever.
2: Yeah, but it's still bad. Even if, It's even worse when they think what they're doing is right. They're, they're doing all these mad things. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, Bitcoin's different, but I guess the culty stuff. And what I was going to say is that Scientology um, now, they can't, you know, there's no secrets anymore because everybody knows what the secret is that you find out. It's that Lord Zenu. Um, banished a bunch of, like killed loads of people and their souls all went into volcanoes in the earth then came out and went into people and then they control how your happiness levels and things like that. It's it's basically that. South Park did it and they wrote like a thing saying, you know, this is what Scientologists really, really believe. So, you, you know, everyone knows that that is the thing because of the internet, everyone knows that. But now Scientology put on their website stuff like, uh, by the way, all that South Park stuff, that's nothing, to, that's not what it is. So people would spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get through when they'll go, Actually, that that was what it is. Sorry, you know, <laughs> awful.
1: Yeah, and I guess they feel comfortable lying about it because maybe in the beginning it's just like a self improvement thing, and that's how they get people
2: sucked in. They really, they believe that like oh, they believed L1 Hubbard was a was a, a prophet, and they believe David Miscavige and Tom Cruise are sort of bigger than you know. If you if we look at as you say, so someone who's got a million Twitter followers or a blue tick, like, it does make a difference for me. Someone emails me and says, "Hey, I want to come on your podcast. I'll check it out." Right? Yeah, and it does make a difference. If someone's got ten followers. I'm probably, I'm un- unless it's really like, this person's like mad, done really awful, horrible things, or I don't know what. Uh, but then I see someone who's got a blue check and a million followers, well, it's like you know? So it-
1: well, and I can guarantee you book advances now are 100% correlated with social media followings. Like mm-hmm. where you are in the cult of social media, that determines you the, the size of your book advance. You're not gonna get a million dollar book advance if you don't have millions. You probably need like five million followers across social media huh. to get a, a, a million dollar book advance wow but then
2: yeah you can game it i mean that's the thing
1: yeah you can game it nobody and and the thing is publishers don't know too that your social media following is not necessarily going to read your book yeah so like like just even in the basic rules of direct marketing like let's say i have an email list with a million people and i email all 1 million hey please read my book maybe 1% will go out and buy your book and some percentage of that will read it so it has nothing it's really correlated with very few things.
2: Mm. You'd think they'd do the work though. Why do they, you know, you'd think they would have worked that out and gone okay, there's no point going by that, you know. Uh you mean the publisher? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think they I think they just don't know because they don't have big social media followings and they sort of trust all the and I guess some of their some of the best like every bestseller they do have has a big social media following. But so that is what they focus on. They don't focus on the people who have books that don't do so well, that also had big social media followings, but they do know that when they did select for social media followings, some of those became massive bestsellers. And mm-hmm. they only need a few massive bestsellers to stay in business.
2: Yeah. Are you on social media a lot? Are you still are you arguing with people on there?
1: Not, not really. I used to be a lot more. Like I used to be very focused on it. Let's say about 10 years ago, where, for instance, every Thursday, I did this for six years, like clockwork, every Thursday from two thirty to about four thirty, I would do a Twitter Q and A, and that got me tons of followers. So I would just answer any question anybody had about finance, you know, self help, books, writing, podcasts, anything anybody wanted to ask. Even and people would sometimes say, "Well, who are you to answer?" And I would just be honest. I'd say, "I'm nobody, but I'll answer anybody's question." And but that was great for getting followers on Twitter or. I would write articles in other places and and say follow me on Twitter in the middle of the article and provide the link. So I focused on it for a while and then I don't know, I just I just lost complete interest. I think every what I noticed was about every 18 months something would happen that would provoke outrage and it was getting like somebody would either write an article about me that was that I felt was lying but it would make a lot of people angry at me. Or maybe I wrote an article that a lot of people disagreed with, so it would provoke outrage. And every 18 months, the outrage would get worse and worse and worse. And so the last time it happened, uh, when I wrote this article about New York City, it was so bad, I just... I actually don't even think it was my choice. I just kind of got burnt out and just stopped posting.
2: There was also, um, i just researching, there was a thing that people kicked off at you about um, not investing in something that was on a podcast. Oh, uh I don't know. I don't remember that. You it was like some um podcast. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. No, that was a a Shark Tank kind yeah. of podcast called The Pitch and you spend 20 minutes with the company and then you're supposed to commit like real money to invest. And I would say, yeah, I'm interested in this company. I'd be interested in investing this money. And then I would do my due diligence and I decided not to invest. It's not like but they act like you're making like a legal deal right there in 20 minutes on a podcast. That's not what yeah. you know, and then and by the way, none of the other people invested either, but for some reason, I was like called out and like it's because I didn't appear on the next episode, something like that, and I was like shamed for not investing and everyone was like, "Oh, this guy's a jerk <laughs> this he he said he would invest in this ex veterans you know this veterans oh, was business it about that? and 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 he didn't and But you know, there was a couple other investors there who never invested, but I guess they just kept on doing the due diligence ongoing, whereas I made a final decision not to invest.
2: But did you email them to tell them
1: that? No, that's what I didn't do. See,
2: I know you you now, and I'm not (laughs) surprised. You're the worst emailer.
1: I am. Okay, you got to tell, like, so we were talking about this earlier, like, you were saying you feel anxious when someone writes you. And so you respond instantly or else you feel anxiety. Yeah. My thing is I feel anxiety when someone writes me. And so I don't respond, but then I get more anxious because then time builds up. And I literally apologize to, to so like even some of my best friends, I'm not mad at you. I promise I will eventually write once I get over my anxiety about this. But, but what, when, when, I thought, I thought you wrote and I, I said, come on. Like, <laughs> apparently the story's different.
2: Yeah, well, okay. This, it's interesting because you also wrote an article saying you don't respond to your kids. You wish you responded to your kids more often.
1: Yeah, I do. I, I'm bad at that as well.
2: Man, it's, I, I'm I'm fascinated just because it's just a different way of being, and not in either. That's I don't mean it to suggest. Oh, I'm so good. I reply to emails. It is. It comes from a purely selfish reason of like I, the obsessiveness in me. I'm going to forget it. I've got to do it now. I've got to do it, and I wish I didn't have that. So I respect that you don't have to do it. No, you said. But, on the... but
1: I get anxious about. It. Like I, I feel I should, <laughs> and then I get
2: really stressed out to the point where now I can't ever. Whereas people will think, oh, he doesn't care.
1: Yeah. That well, then I get a lot of I get a lot of emails saying. Uh, did I do something wrong? Uh, do you hate me? Like, do you reply to those? Sometimes I do, but they make me nervous when they send that, like, because yeah. then I have to respond. But then I, sometimes I catch myself writing those emails to people I know who are like me. Don't respond. Yeah. So then I figured, you know what? This is a karma thing. So if I just respond to everybody, I bet you everybody will respond to me. I bet you that will yeah. start happening. But but <laughs> I got a, There's a whole list of people. I have to respond to now and I'm and I'm so ashamed yeah. because I really like I love all these people that some of them are like good friends and I feel like I've really upset them but then it come it really comes from this I hate to say this it comes from my mother. Okay. So my mother I didn't call her back once for like a month or so and i called her back and she starts screaming at me and ever since then i've just had a hard time i just don't want people to scream at me and i feel like it's gonna like literally it's like this cliche therapy thing that it comes from not responding to my mother once
2: take me back to your childhood
1: james (laughs) right it's exactly (laughs) that
2: yeah what seriously though take me inside your mind when an email like that comes to you what are you you're sitting at your desk
1: email comes to me so I I write a lot. I write every morning. I spend a lot of time on writing, and I've, I've written twenty or so books. And I love writing. I love the process of writing, and that includes and I and I, like when my kids have a book report or an essay they have to write, I will sit there for four hours, word by word, helping them write and teaching them writing. So when I ha- when someone writes me an email and it's a little bit of emotion and I really want to think about it, I really want to write a good response, but then. I don't have time that day. And so I say, I'll do it the next day. And then it just, and then the next person writes. And so now I have two. And then the next person, I have three, but I still have all the podcasts. I still have my normal writing. And so I take writing very seriously. So writing an email, maybe I take too seriously. And I feel like I really want to craft a great response. And it's just too much, I put too much pressure on myself.
2: It's funny though, um, because I know you now. And when you know someone and it's like, oh, they're a bad emailer. It's not really a big deal. It's just like, oh, God, yeah, he never replies to you. You know, it's just like, what, what is it? It's like, oh, well, he, he smokes a lot, it's a bit annoying, or he's a bit loud when he talks in a cafe. It's like those things, no one cares. But when it gets onto like a professional level, and as, as you say, it's on Twitter, it's suddenly everyone piles on, and it's like the worst thing. He didn't reply to a thing he'd done on a podcast, yeah. but it's just like, well, he doesn't. But with us, you said at the end, you surprised me when you said, you said, come out, come and stay the night. Yeah, yeah, come out. So I had to email lovely Jay, and say, um, <laughs> is that happening? Because I've emailed, and you weren't replying to emails. So I had to go to Jay and go, um, is that ha- and, and I thought, definitely not. Because I'm so... No, used- Jay asked me, and I said, of course, yeah. That's what I told him. I I'm shocked. <laughs> I was shocked because I'm so used to, if somebody doesn't reply, I would usually think like, okay, they, they didn't really mean it. Or they've regretted saying it. Um... And then even up until just now, I mean, the last time we spoke was months ago on that podcast when you, it's just funny. But I've, you know, I've, it sounds like I'm having a go now. I don't, honestly, I'm quite happy. I'm delighted. No, no,
1: I, I appreciate it. Like, this is definitely like a fatal flaw for me is that I just, I don't know. I get so focused on what I'm doing that day. And then the list of emails are piling up. But the great thing is Jay, who everyone knows is the podcast producer. Jay, say hi, you come on the podcast a lot or you don't have a microphone on him, do you? <laughs> so, so Jay comes on the podcast occasionally, so we were just at a conference, and everybody who like even started handing me a business card, Jay would just grab it because he knows that I'm never gonna, <laughs> I'm never gonna. Uh, <laughs> Jay, Jay's amazing. And, and my wife Robin, who's who's somewhere around here, she, she if Jay wasn't around, Robin would grab it. Like, don't give it to James because he's not. He's just not gonna respond. Oh but man. I she, And 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 she says, if you want to text him, text me, and then I'll respond. So. Oh.
2: But like, it's not really a big deal, is it? It's just, but it just feels like it is in that in that Twitter world, really.
1: But 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 you respond. My my wife Robin is like this too. She responds instantly. And if if someone writes us, and if let's say someone writes the two of us and needs a response from me, she will just ask me every five minutes, "Did you respond yet? Did you respond yet? Did you respond yet?" And so like, I'm always, I I, like some people are like that, where they just they if they don't respond instantly, Mm. and I think there's a danger in that too because we live in this kind of. real-time responding world where, you know, it used to be you got a message on your answering machine, your antique answering machine, you weren't home. So you couldn't respond. Yeah. And now though, everybody's checking their email all the time. So when you send an email and you don't get a response instantly, there's a dynamic that happens in both directions. Yeah. Because I know you read the email. I sent it 15 minutes ago. You had to have read it by now.
2: So... (laughs) It's it's a pressure. It's really stressful, and I, I made a point as well of replying to every single comment on YouTube since it began. That's begun. smart, though. Yeah, it's look, everything. I you, you do it for yourself. Even when you're doing, even when I'm. That's why I'm not. I'm not digging you out because I know the reason I do it is is my own. You know, I remember going to um, therapy in Argentina. I went to see a therapist because why not? You got it. You got it's, it's the the capita. Play the most therapists in the world is Argentina. Yeah, yeah. The
1: joke is like if you're riding in a cab, your cab's a therapist. Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) So So I went, you know, it was like ten dollars, you know, and it was a free Spanish class as well. So why, why not? Um, and I remember going in just thinking I was great, right? And I was, I must have been twenty-four or something. And no one's great when they're no one's great at any age, let alone at twenty-four. I just thought I was great because I'm so nice to people and I'm always doing things like that. I'm replying to everyone's emails and stuff. And his like first appraisal, his first thing he said, he was like. You just want... And he did like a clapping sign with his hands. He was like, you want this. And, you know, that's, what, that's why you do what you do. That's what motivates you. You want everybody to like you and all this stuff. And from that moment on, I decided never to moralize. And that's a huge thing in my podcast as well. As my, And that can be tricky. You touched on before. If I've got like a Nazi on the podcast, I should really be saying stuff to them like, hey, hang on. But I don't want to ever say things from a point of view of, I wouldn't have done that if I if I were in your place and had your brain or whatever. I, I could have done the same thing as you. I don't want him to think I'm above that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because like take the Aryan Brotherhood guy. You said, uh, you know, I, I guess that's an organization formed in jail mm. so that they're protecting each other was the mm. initial thing. So you don't really know what experiences he or she no. has been through. And, and so it's hard to, but I like this idea of just kind of like turning that, muscle off the moralizing muscle off in a podcast and people should know that that's what podcasters do you can't have like an antagonistic the guy will leave in the first five minutes the guest will leave in the first five minutes you have to keep the conversation going
2: so and next guest won't come on if they hear you digging out everyone else
1: right they'll get scared
2: yeah so plus it's i don't i don't like moralizing i find it boring i find it i find moralizing people boring uh and we've you know we've spoken about this before but obviously you know this sort of woke i hate saying the word woke but that can be very moralizing it's why i'm so turned off by it i find it's the moral thing the righteousness um but before it would have been the religious right and it still is as well i don't want to hear i i I just find it very boring
0: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com pod 50 for 50% off. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.
1: Well, let me ask you this, because this is about the the clapping that your therapist said that you want to hear people clap. Mm. I've been thinking about this lately. When you go through airport security, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this does segue nicely when you go through airport security, what do you do in the u s? Uh, um,
2: um, what are you thinking about? P- please, please, can I get everything right so that I get correct so I don't have to be corrected? Like yeah,
1: yeah, yeah like, like when I go through airport security, I'm th- I want everybody to see me yeah. like just perfectly. Like this man is a machine. He's got his <laughs> laptop in his hand, puts it down in the bin. Has his shoes off already? Boom, boom, boom! Right through. Yeah. No, no waste. I want everybody to be impressed by me. Yes. Like I want, I want an audience at airport security, and you never get it because they're all busy with their own thing. But I'm, I'm a pro now at airport security.
2: I do that pro thing with uh, being very fast when there's like a a queue for something. So let's say there's a queue for like. To buy something from a shop, everyone is so slow in front of me. So I'm like there when I arrive with my card ready, with what I want ready, and and I you know I reach over before they've even given me the card machine. I'm like, uh, and I walk off, and I want to go see how quickly it can be done.
1: Right? See, it's not just about like getting it done fast. You want other people to notice. Yeah, of course. So so it's the same thing with a, with a lot of these things. Unfortunately, I didn't get that with, and I I wish I was better at responding to yeah. to email. But now I'm known as the bad email. <laughs> so, I'm known by everybody as that. I got I got to correct that. That's one thing if I could correct anything,
2: I would correct that. But this is part, this is like this is how problematic behavior starts because in a cult or whatever it might be, if people start to have a go at you too much and you're known as the bad thing, you can switch over and you go, "You know what? That's I'm never going to have status for that." Like, you're going to continue doing the safety checkout stuff, check-in, like, you know, because you know you're good at that. You're known as James Altucher, the great security airport guy, right? right? But you're known as the bad emailer. Even if you email fantastically for the next 10 years, you won't be a good emailer, because the reputation from before will will follow you. So you could then retreat into the shadows. And I'm using this as a metaphor for, say, um, child molesters or criminals and stuff like that. Because you can't ever win status now. You might as well go into the shadows and speak to other people who are also bad emailers, and you all tell each other that it's actually okay not to reply to emails and that no one actually minds and it's helpful and well
1: well that's know. an interesting thing like because you know there's always the, like let's say someone was a burglar they, mm-hmm. they they robbed a bank and or they mugged somebody and they hurt somebody they went to jail and there's this whole sense of well, you paid your dues, you did your time there was a sentence you yeah. were convicted guilty by a jury of your peers the judge considered what is the appropriate sentence for this crime where at the end of that sentence he will have paid his dues to society and you know you, you, but we don't really have that now in this and i i hate to drag and cancel culture but like take louis ck as an example he is many people feel he should never have a career again like he should never have any tv shows comedy specials or anything and yet he is just in terms of raw skill, he's like one of the you know, depending on how you feel about comedy, he's one of the most he's maybe the most skilled comedian ever. He's like the the I'll oh, use a chess analogy, he's the Bobby Fisher of of <laughs> comedy. And yeah,
2: that's not gonna go over my audience, the no, Bobby Fischer. Well, he's so, Louis C.K. is enough. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, he's the Louis C.K. of comedy. Yeah. And uh uh, but you know people will be upset for the rest of their lives at him.
2: Yeah. And like I say, he will never now be able to win status by through righteousness. If there's three ways to win status, three main ways, one is dominance, one is um, success, and one is virtue. So dominance in the tribe, if you're a big alpha male, you get the food because you're dominant. If you invented the wheel, you're a successful person. People give you the food and stuff and shelter. Uh, and if you're virtuous, you, you're the person who helps everyone you you uh, get they give you food as well in return right you don't actually have to be virtuous you just have to make it seem to others that you are which is where virtue signaling comes from hmm. um louis ck is never going to win any points in the virtue one now he's ruined that
1: so it's yeah, so interesting i never thought of it that way so there's three things virtue dominance success success so he'll he'll do it in success but he's
2: lost the whole people who are in the virtue hierarchy exactly and that's why you often see did you watch bojack horseman no. Okay, it doesn't matter then. But he does this at the end. He's like a character who gets uh, a similar thing happens to him, You're like Louis C.K. kind of thing. Um, and he goes the other way. And you see that all the time. You see this. And Louis C.K. has done that. If you see a stand up since it all happened, he's gone much darker, much yeah. more sexual, because he can't win the righteous bit anymore. That's done. Right. Now you can go full into it. Boom. Be so, the horrible guy. Why not? Because the people who appreciate him for his success are still going to go. The virtue people are not going. So that's what he's doing.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, and this is the thing actually that bothered me about social media is that, like, originally I was writing about my experiences of starting businesses or investing and then going broke and coming back from that. So I had like things about me in the real world that I was writing stories about that people would follow. But then gradually I got disgusted with the fact that people only knew me from social media. They had forgotten that I had done anything else in life. And so for, for social media becomes this experience unto itself that you don't have to do anything other than social media to have status. And I think that's a, a, a troubling thing where people could just sit in front of their computer for their whole lives and get status that way instead of actually like doing things, doing hard things.
2: Sure. But now, nowadays being in front of your computer is hard things, isn't it? I mean, yeah. will it, what difference if you're doing it from your computer or if you're doing it in real life?
1: No, it's true. But like, for instance, having like a clever tweet that gets like a thousand mm-hmm. shares is one thing. But let's say, you know, surviving the Holocaust. I'm not saying I did that. I'm just <laughs> taking an extreme example. <laughs> surviving the Holocaust, that's something that's, you know, an incredibly hard thing. Or or starting a business and, and, and watching it either succeed or fail. Either direction is is very hard. But But a lot of people like oh my tweet i don't need to do that because my tweet my last tweet just got 15,000 shares so i don't need to do the hard thing this was hard enough
2: but it's not but it's not that easy to do a tweet that gets 15,000 that's true shares. yeah you know what difference how is that different to shakespeare writing i mean an entire sonnet okay there's more artistic endeavor going on there maybe yeah but maybe
1: you're right maybe like certainly like tiktok i i love watching tiktok because i don't know how it's like it's like there's 70 magical people on the planet like jumping from building to building and doing magic tricks in the street and playing Chopin's etudes in in, on a mall piano and uh it's like these incredibly talented people doing these amazing things on TikTok so I would say it is hard to have whatever medium it is to have the talent and skill for that medium to make it go viral so that's true point taken but I, I just I just wonder like you know, some, there are some things that are harder than others. Like I feel, I feel like supporting a family when you're broke is like harder than it's more painful than trying to come up with a good tweet. Like, like people get in pain when they write a tweet and it doesn't get the 15,000 shares. So like that, I see that kind of thing too. They get addicted to the dopamine of all those tweets and retweets and shares. And so then they feel miserable when they don't, whereas if you can't feed your kids like that's a real miserable feeling and that's happened to me so yeah you know those the, you know i so so, so then i get th- start thinking well should i do more things should i start another business should i write a big book or you know that that's different from other books that i've written or whatever but mm. but then i also get to uh you know i'm just getting older maybe i'm just not as interested in getting retweeted or, right. or known
2: for things. Well, yeah, exactly. Would those, the big book or the big project, would you do them? Would you be as interested in doing them if you knew nobody would ever see them? No. So it's all status, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I
1: was never, I like, that. that's a good point. Like, I was never interested in, I would never write for for people if nobody yeah. would read it. But... From the time I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer because I wanted to be famous from writing.
2: You wanted clapping. Yeah, I wanted the clapping. We, we, totally. we all do, though. And, and, that, and that's exactly what, when I say boring, I, I've realized that I find talking to people who don't admit those things about themselves boring. Yeah. I can't sit with those people. I remember the moment it happened. I remember it was a friend of a, a friend of mine when I was, I guess I was 21 years old. And we were, I was having a chat with someone else about how boring opera seems to be. And I know some people like it, and that's fine. But to me, it's just seemed really boring. And this woman that we knew overheard us talking about opera and presumed we were talking glowingly about it. And so she came over and said like, oh, I love opera. It's my favorite thing. Oh, don't, don't, you, love don't you love it? And I said, oh, what's your favorite opera? Which was mean of me to do because I knew she wouldn't have one. And she said the greatest hits of opera, right? So she's not an opera fan, but she thought she had to say it to get some sort of status and be part of our group and all that stuff.
1: Right, so what what, what sort of signaling there is she doing? She's, success. Yeah, success. Okay, she's because bright. successful people go to the opera, the yeah. opera's expensive, It's yeah. you wear a tuxedo to the opera. Exactly. So
2: That's what she's signaling. And I just thought, like, I wish... Instead of that, an infinitely more interesting thing would have been if she came over and said, I wish I liked the opera because it would make me seem really interesting and fun and clever, but I just can't get into it because it's actually boring. And we could have we could have bonded over all of us going, God, yeah, we all wish we liked the opera, but don't like it. Just honesty. But otherwise, it's just boring otherwise.
1: You know, most things kind of are actually. <laughs> the people Like opera, I, I, I've been to the opera once. I was on a first date, so we went and there was a intermission in the middle where there was dessert. That was the funnest time that I had in that particular date. Yeah. But like most things, like I don't even really like going to the movies anymore because now everybody's got like a big TV. You could watch mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. could watch the best movie in the world. It was just released two weeks ago. It might be on Netflix now. And not only that, I can I can just with my phone, I could press some buttons and like a world-class chef could cook me dinner yeah. and someone in their like Mercedes Benz will drive it over to me and leave it <laughs> on my doorstep. I don't even have to see them. And yeah. it's just like, why go anywhere now?
2: I should clarify, I don't mean, I don't mean operas. I mean, I find opera boring and you find opera boring, but some people, I the, the, other, the other thing she could have said is actually if she was fascinated by opera and loved it, that would have been an interesting thing for me as well. Cause I could have just tried to understand why she loves it, because at least it would have been sincere and honest. But I can't stand, that's why I like talking to psychopaths. It's why I like talking to, you know, if it were Louis C.K., for example, because he doesn't have to do the virtue or the extra success. Uh, I love talking to psychopaths, best people to interview, because you start from a point of them uh, being honest. They're saying to you, uh, I I, I don't have the virtue bit. I'm not going to try and compete for that. So then you can have an open and honest conversation where nobody's trying to one-up about what good people they are that's infinitely more interesting. Has there
1: anything, Has there ever been anything that you found boring that you later changed your mind on?
2: Oh, uh, probably because I think that everything, even opera, I think everything probably can be interesting if you either gave it the time or if you had the right kind of brain for it. I don't think I have the right brain for chess. You love chess. So I have to not. I, you know, I see how much you love chess and I see a lot of people love chess. So I know it has to have some intrinsic beauty and amazing stuff to it there must be stuff. I think more things the other way, because I think I think there were a lot of stuff when I was 20 and 21, and I was so desperate as a student or whatever, to tell myself that I had that's you know, the success one, that I was interested in this kind of la-di-da stuff, uh, that I would sit and watch n- Nouvelle Vague French black and white cinema, Great. right? I, and I said to myself, this is so interesting. Look at the way, you know, a boy is running for seven minutes of screen time, you know? Now I would find that, endlessly boring. I have no patience for that now.
1: We have a lot more to talk about. So stay tuned. The next episode will come out in about a week or so. If you like this episode, once again, subscribe, tweet about it, share it with your friends. It really helps me out. It's so important for the podcast world to rank high on all these different lists. So subscribe, share it, tweet it. Let me know if you subscribe. Thanks again. See you next time.
0: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.